départ de numéro 21. Goal scored by number 21, Ian Boisvert. Avec l'aide du numéro 22, assisted by number 22, Kristen Heinz. Et du numéro 7, and number 7, Trevor Agni. gonna do it this way usually when the canadian season ends i i tend to lean towards writing um this time i didn't i don't know it just didn't feel right to do it that way this time um you know i feel like this season i spent more time writing on twitter than i did in the actual blog rabbithabs.com for those still paying attention um i don't know the way that this season went it just felt more fitting to sit in front of a, a microphone and and try to you know parse out what the hell we just watched um and I, I, you know i'll start by saying you know that the same thing that you know you've probably heard in a bunch of different other mediums one hell of a run doesn't even begin to describe you know what we just saw from the Montreal canadians um you know a, a team that in my lifetime, I've, I've, I'm 25, I'll be 26 in a few months. Um, they had never, they've never been a favorite to win. Um, so, you know, it, it doesn't, it makes, it, it makes perfect sense that the one time they get the closest to winning the Stanley Cup, they're, you know, the underdog of underdogs. Um, it, it, they shouldn't have won a round. They shouldn't have won two. They definitely shouldn't have won three. And some might even argue they shouldn't have won a game in the final. Um, you know, it, it's a shame it ended the way it did. But, um, you know, I, I'm probably getting a little ahead of myself. But um, so I, I thought, you know, I'd just sit down and try to parse through everything we saw this season from the beginning to the end. Because it's it's sort of a weird, um, a, a weird path they took. I know it seems like an understatement at this point to say that. But even looking back through, like... The results and and looking through, you know, just the calendar. Oh, they won today. They they lost this day, this day, this day, this day, and and seeing you know the the course of events that that took place this season. It's it's interesting, um, you know, because it, it, I think it applies a lot of context to the Canadians that we saw post regular season. Um, but you know. Um, I've been I've been pretty quiet recently over the last you know few days since the Canadians lost. I've been just taking it all in. Um, I think you know when the game ended in Game Five and the Canadians were pressing, and I think Petrie had the puck at the point and he tried to toe drag and and take a wrist shot around a sprawling body, and the puck bounced out with about twenty seconds, and that's that was kind of when we knew it was over. Um, you know, not not to say that, you know, I, I really thought the Canadians were going to come back in that series. And it's no, it's no, you know, insult to them as a hockey team. It's more so the Tampa Bay Lightning weren't going to lose four in a row. Um, but I, I do, I do think that the Canadians really, you know, at that very moment, that's when it ended. 
Um, and then I think I just, I sat on my couch just staring at the screen. Um, it, it was sort of a numb feeling, uh, just watching Tampa Bay skate around with the cup and celebrate beforehand. And, you know, the NBC feed in the States didn't focus too much on the Canadians being sad. It was more so the, the, the lightning's jubilation, um, which I think is about the only thing NBC did right in this playoff run, but that's neither here nor there. It's a podcast for another day. Um, but I just kind of, you know, took all that in and it, it stung. It stung for a little while. Um, it still kind of stinks to think about, but every once in a while I still think about how they weren't supposed to be there in that final and they still managed to, um, you know, not only get there, but along the way have one of the most memorable playoffs. I think, I think, you know, anyone my age can say happened in their lifetime. Yeah, there was the 2010 run, but you know, that, that team was, was fun. It was, it was a halak run though. Um, this one, while Carey Price did, you know, shoulder quite a bit of the load. And we saw that in the Stanley Cup final when he was, you know, less than whatever that was, um, through the first three games, the team faltered. Um, but I, I feel like there are so many guys on this team that had some kind of incredible moment in those, in those playoffs. Um, it more so than I think any other year. Um, and there were, there were some good Canadians teams in there. Um, you know, the early version of an era Canadians were pretty good. Um, I thought they always kind of underperformed, but the roster was built to have moments like that. Um, it was a tight, it was a tight knit group. They, they did seem to really like playing with each other, but this, this Canadians team just had something special that I don't think, you know, they're not all going to come back next year where, you know, we're at least losing one player to Seattle. So, you know, you can say that, that, you know, the full group isn't coming back, but, um, you know, it was a, it was a type of team that, you know, (laughs) for a lot of the season, I frankly hated. I hated watching them play hockey. I hated the fact that, you know, we were every other night from January. I shouldn't say January because January was quite good. And I'll get into that in a second. But from February through May, you know, I had to give two and a half, three hours of my night to this team who frankly did not play like they deserved it. Um, you know, and that's not to say my time is, you know, more valuable than anybody else's, but it just felt like I was wasting my time with this team. Um, and it's why I kind of fell off of writing for, for rabbit hubs. I was doing, I try every season I set up to do post games, every game. And I get it. The burnout is real for people who are able to do that on a regular basis. Like, like Zach, um, Vanas of, of rabbit hubs and, of the Montreal bias, he does the recency bias after every game, um, you know, or or Locked On Canadians, who every weekday they have a podcast in your subscription box um, every morning, every weekday morning. I have a I have a ton of respect for for people who can do that. It's it's hard. It's especially when the team just sucks, and they suck the life out of, you know your enjoyment of the game that you grew up watching that you, 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 you know, especially when it's this team, you know, the, the Montreal Canadians are a religion. 
They just are. I know it, it seems cliche to say, and you know, people have certainly overdone it, but they just, they are, you're supposed to live and die with them. And we were just doing a lot more dying than, than I think anyone was comfortable with. Uh, but let's, let's, let's get, let's get into that. Um, because I think, I think the way that I interact with this team has changed um, permanently after this run. I, just, I, you know, how could it not? After, after everything we just saw, I don't know how you can watch regular season hockey the same way anymore. Um, but I guess it starts, it's funny, this season I think starts last season. I think the Canadians, the 2021 Montreal Canadiens started in the bubble in Toronto. Um, because there was such there was that huge layoff in between you know the end of the regular season and when they qualified for the play-in round uh, against Pittsburgh, that I feel like that's that was almost their preseason, um, you know, or, or or at least just a glimpse at you know what Mark Bergevin needed to do to improve this hockey team, and whether that was take a step forward with the core we currently have, or take another step back and try to retool maybe guys like um you know not another full rebuild we're not talking Carey Price and Shea Weber out the door but we're talking maybe you don't re-up Jeff Petrie maybe Thomas Tatar is gone um you know there were valuable veteran parts on this team that I think if the Canadians had done really poorly in that bubble um they might not have been around I really think that that the, the success that happened in the bubble fueled by Carey Price fueled by Nick Suzuki and Jesperi Kotkaniemi and, uh, you know, Shea Weber and uh, and Ben Schrott were phenomenal against Pittsburgh. Less so against Philadelphia, but, you know, that that Philadelphia team was quite good. Um, you know, if not really, really lucky against the Canadians. I think, I want to say like 70% of the Flyers' goals bounced off Ben Schrott and in the net. Um, but I think, you know... The, the, the postseason that the, the, the offseason that followed and the additions that Mark Bergevin made, I think, are, and, and, you know, I'm not treading any new ground here. I'm just sort of setting context for the rest of the season. But I think they kind of gave the Canadians um, a reason to believe in the group that they had, while also, you know, they were still flawed. They still got bounced in the first round of the playoffs, but they showed that they could stick it to tough teams. They, they lasted six against Philadelphia. Um, you know, they made Pittsburgh look pretty rough. Although, you know, after watching Tristan Jari implode again in the playoffs, you have to wonder how much of that is happenstance. But you have to give the Canadians credit. I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm getting tired and my, my brain immediately goes to this. Well, what about the other team? Because that's what everybody else has been doing with these Canadians. Um, nothing was ever the Canadians doing well. It was some other team choking. Um, which I think is a as a narrative that I th- I'm hoping the Canadians can dispel of quickly next season, um, but obviously that'll be next season. So Mark Bergeron goes into that off season and you know he knows he knows he needs a backup goalie. It was a huge problem last year. It's been a to be honest, it's been a huge problem since Carey Price has really taken off as the Canadians' number one goalie, and he gets one and he pays a premium for him. Um, you know. That's not to say that that Jake Allen was overpaid, um, but backup goalies don't usually make as much as Jake Allen was slated to make uh, this year. Uh, and then they immediately sign him to a 
a contract extension that lowers his cap hit. So, you know, if he does manage to stick around past the Seattle expansion, at least the cap hit will be a little bit, a little bit lower, more suiting of a backup goalie. Um, and, you know, he, he played an, an invaluable role on this Canadians team. Um, Carey Price was, was not, he didn't play particularly well this season in the regular season. Um, battled some injuries. I'm sure he battled a lot of other things that aren't being that aren't publicly available. Um, just just the the idea of playing through this pandemic seems like a lot. Um, you know, Carey Price is out there playing a game, playing the the hardest position in sports for one of the most demanding franchises in the world, and um, you know. Most of us during this time were more like Bo Burnham and inside. Um, you know, it's it's hard to imagine what these players went through, and it took it probably took its toll on a lot of players. And there's probably a lot of stuff that we don't know about. Um, but you know, with all of that aside, Carey Price he struggled this year in the regular season, and Jake Allen was there to spell him. Um, Tyler Toffoli may go down as one of the better free agent signings I think the Canadians have ever made. Um, he was he was spectacular all season. He started the season red hot. Um, after I think he had like three games where he didn't score, and everyone started to panic. Um, but he was he was fantastic. Uh, the playoffs were a bit of a letdown because he had a groin injury, and it was so obvious that it was something lower body because he just looked he looked like he couldn't move, um, which is a shame because you know he he won a cup with Los Angeles. Um, you know, he's a guy that you probably keep in the lineup, even if he is kind of battling something, because he is valuable, and that's why he wasn't taken out of the lineup. Um, but he he was such a, a fantastic signing by Mark Bergeron. I still, to this day, do not understand why Jim Benning has a job in Vancouver. It looks like he's trying to acquire Oliver, Oliver Ekman Larson. Like, he, he just, he has no idea what he's doing, and they ran out of time to sign Tyler Toffoli. I, I just, I still have no idea how you can rationalize that and keep your job and you know there are other signings like Joel Edmondson who they actually traded for the exclusive negotiating rights for at the time I hated the trade I hated the signing I thought he was just going to be another Ben Sherratt um and he like Ben Sherratt when in his first few games for the Canadians he stunk like there's no there's no kind way to say it to Joel Edmondson. He was not very good to start the season, but it didn't really matter because the Canadians were playing well. Um, and you know, in retrospect, was I a little bit too hard on him? Yeah, probably. Um, because he did really turn it on. I I do think he's he's not he's not a one dimensional hockey player. He he you know is pretty strong defensively. I think his offensive output was a little overrated at the beginning. People were saying, well, he's got a really good shot. And well, we never really saw it. Um, but I do think he's a valuable player. The cap hit isn't terrible on him. Um, you know, he makes it, if, if Sherrod is the one claimed in expansion, he makes it a little bit easier to swallow. But I don't think that, um, I don't think that my worst fears were realized with the Edmondson signing. Um, I, I, I do, I do have a ton of respect for him as a player after, after watching the rest of the season roll out. Um, Josh Anderson is acquired in a trade from Columbus signed to a seven year, five point something million dollar deal. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. It doesn't matter. 
Um, you know, and that, that cap hit and that contract will probably look pretty rough in year seven, I'd imagine. But year one of the Josh Anderson experience was pretty nice. Um, you know, he scored, he scored a bunch. I think he had 17 goals in 50 some odd games, 52 games or something like that. Um, you know, he probably, he was definitely dealing with something towards the end of the year. I think he was dealing something with in the playoffs and we didn't hear about it. Um, but that's a guy that I think is still going to have a, have some value for the next few seasons. Um, and he was just a monster in the playoffs. Like he doesn't have to score every shift. There's there's this idea going around that he has to be this offensive juggernaut because he makes five something million dollars. And I, I just don't, I don't buy that. Um, I think Josh Anderson is perfectly comfortable being a second line right winger on the Montreal Canadiens. And I think the Canadians are comfortable saying that. Um, because they traded a center who they didn't think had a future with this team and who I frankly don't think wanted to be around. Um, but, you know, all that to say that in the in the offseason, Bergevin addressed some really key needs for this team, and he did it without, you know, completely tanking the team's future. Um, the future was still really bright. We still have a ton of prospects on the way. At the time, Cole Caulfield was still in college. Um, Matthias Norlander was turning some heads over in Europe. Um you know, there's a lot of, there's still a lot to be positive about at this point in the Canadian season. And the expectations were higher now, um, especially in a Canadian division where there's only seven teams and the top four get into the playoffs. And you know that a Canadian team is going to be in the final four. Um, there was a lot on the line. And I think it, it, you know, it amplified every game in that division to the point where, like, we, at the beginning of the season, we were, you know, the media were pumping it up and saying, Oh, we can't wait. It's going to be, you know, every game is going to be so important. The fans are going to go nuts with each other. And we, you know, as fans, we bought into it. it, it that certainly happened. Um, but then, you know, towards the end of the year, <laughs> media folks were saying, everyone's taking this too seriously. It's, you know, it's just hockey, blah, blah, blah. It, it was a little funny, the gaslighting that went on in, in that in that regard. Um, but, you know, again, this all starts with the 2020 bubble team. If they bow out to Pittsburgh in three or four games, um, I'm not sure where I'm not sure I'm sitting here right now talking about this. I don't think Mark Bergerman makes a lot of these moves that he made in the offseason, um, especially because it seemed like his job might have been in jeopardy. Um, but he did, and the expectations went sky high, and the Canadians' play to start the season made those expectations seem realistic. Um, if not undersells of what the team was capable of doing. Um, you know, they they had no regulation losses in their first seven games. In their first ten, they were 7-1-2. and two. Um, I mean, and, and this is the, the president of the Jeff Petrie fan club now speaking. I'll, I'll put that hat on. But Petrie started red hot. Toffoli, after the first three games, was red hot. Um, guys were just putting the puck in the net. It was something that, like, last year the Canadians just couldn't score. Um, it was a real bummer, but they just couldn't figure it out. And this year, like, to start, they were just, they were firing on all cylinders. The power play looked decent to start the season. Um, you know, Carey Price struggled a little bit, but it didn't matter because they were winning games. Um, ultimately, that's the goal of all of this. You know, Carey Price, I think, was asked at one point in the playoffs, you know, uh, you know, the, the Canadians won... You guys won, but, you know, you didn't face a ton of shots. And I think he just replied, we won the game. You know, that's, I think that's all Carey Price really cares about at the end of the day. 
Um, and generally speaking, me too. I, you know, if he's if he goes eighty two and zero, but has a save percentage of eight fifty, does anyone care? I, I I don't think so. Um, but you know the Canadians were were as Chris Johnson so unfortunately put it, a juggernaut. They were they were they were virtually unstoppable. Um, you know, everyone started to say, well, look at the teams they're playing. Well, those are the teams they're playing this year. We only played Canadian teams all season. Um, everyone got to beat up on Ottawa, and Montreal didn't even beat up on Ottawa. Ottawa kind of had Montreal's number all year. Um, they beat up on Vancouver, who was a much better team than Ottawa. Um, you know, it, it's not... The the one thing that I think moving forward we all ought, ought to do better avoiding are amplifying these takes that just are that solely exist to say that the team that you're watching isn't as good as you think they are. The well actuallyism has gotten really really annoying. Um, it started a few years ago with that with that it really started a few years ago with that Leafs team that made the playoffs against the Capitals. Um, because the Leafs are actually good now. I'm not going to say specifically where that came from, but, you know, this idea of actually good or actually bad, the games are the games. Like, I, I understand there's underlying numbers and all of that, but, like, the <laughs> the point of hockey is to win games. Um, to a certain extent, you know, a lot of that other stuff is just noise. Just win games. Um. So the Canadians in January are fantastic, um, and then and then Groundhog Day hits, um, and all of a sudden they do not know how to win consecutive hockey games. Um, they February second was Montreal's last consecutive win for about two months, which, like even in retrospect, seems impossible. It seems impossible that that team was able to do what it did against Toronto and do what it did to Winnipeg and to Vegas. It seems like, I know we said unlikely, you know, this team was on an unlikely run. Impossible. <laughs> I, I, I frankly do not recognize the team that we watched in February. Um, and, you know, it came to a head, you know, towards the end of February. Um, I think Claude Julien and Kirk Muller were canned on, on February 24th. Um, and just looking like after Groundhog Day, so from, from February 2nd to the 23rd, um, they went 2-4-2. Two, and two. And that was enough for Mark Bergevin to pull the plug on, on that edition of the Canadians coaching staff. Which, again, in retrospect, seems a little like knee jerkish it certainly didn't at the time um it seemed like canadians fans were like clamoring for that move i i know i was and i and i liked claude um i was a pretty big claude julian defender um especially towards the end of his time as towards the end of last season um i just i never thought the roster was good enough to justify canning potentially the best french canadian coach that is out there um but it still felt like change needed to happen. Um, and change is what they got. It, you know, in the sense that it's it's not the same coach. Um, but I, I don't think that 
you know, Mark Bergman said, oh, they need a new voice in there. And to this day, I still don't know how true that is. Um, that's not to take anything away from what Dominic Ducharme did for the rest of the season. But it, it comes with the idea that, that Dom Ducharme, as the assistant coach of the Montreal Canadiens for almost three seasons, was just completely silent on the bench and in the locker room. And I just don't buy that. Um, if you wanted to, you know, if you wanted to sell me on, uh, you know, Alex Burroughs being that new, that new voice, you could, you could talk me into that, but that's an assistant coach, um, an assistant coach who has never held an NHL coaching job, has never held an AHL head coaching job, who had just basically been hired a few seasons ago to coach in the AHL. Um, so, I, I mean, it's it was obvious when Ducharme was hired that he was the head coach in waiting, um, but it didn't. I, I don't like none of us knew what he was, and so many you know junior hockey fans were reaching out and saying, "Well, he was really great when he was the coach in in Halifax, and you know he coached Jonathan Drew in there. We're going to get the best version of that player, and you know he likes to coach young players. He was the um, the head coach of the." the uh, Team Canada World Junior teams and this and that and the other thing. And like, okay, great. But the NHL is a different monster than all of that. Um, you know, we've seen so many young coaches come through and just get chewed up and spit back out. Um, and, you know, through the first few games under Ducharme, you know, to no fault of his own, really, everything was almost the same. They didn't get that new coach bump that a lot of teams get um, when they fire their coach and they get a new one. Um, it's it's a weird phenomenon. It's just like I I wonder how much of it is just the players and the team realizing like if we don't get this going, someone's going to trade us next. Um, but the Canadians didn't get that sort of bump in results when. Um, Ducharme was hired. They won their, they lost their next two games and then they finally won one. And then I think they lost, they must have lost again because they didn't win consecutive games for two months. Um, but, you know, it, we were willing to let that go and try to let him figure it out because, to be honest, he, 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 he hasn't had enough time to, to fully take over a hockey team and, and put his own stamp on them. Um, as we'll see later on when the Canadians, you know, well, we might as well get to that right now. Um, the Canadians won in a shootout on March 20th. It was like their first shootout win in forever. Um, they just, that was another underlying story from this entire season was the Canadians' refusal to win in overtime. Um, and even when Ducharme took over, the the overtime strategy did not change. It was the exact same thing. And he always had an excuse for why it didn't change. Um, you know, Phil Deneau and Paul Byron were out there to start every overtime, no matter who they were playing against. And it was always, we're line matching against the other team's top line. And it was frustrating because, you know, and I've said this ad nauseum, I, I'm, I'm almost annoyed with myself at how often I've talked about it, but it, it's the reality of how I feel about, you know, this hockey team and the way that they, that they treated their young players this year. But you know, every time the, the, the 2020 bubble, Kotkaniemi and Suzuki were at the front of the pack. 
they were the reason why Mark Bergman decided, okay, we're going to put this into overdrive. We're competing now. And then they get into situations in the 2021 season where games are on the line. There are big moments like shootouts or overtime or late in a game when you're trying to tie the you're trying to tie the game or take the lead. And those guys found themselves on the bench, and it was really frustrating to watch, um, because they just kept losing the same way every time, and nothing was changing. Um, and I only, you know, I'll pause here, <laughs> a bit of a palate cleanser. I only harp on all of this because it it continues to reinforce how improbable and impossible the Canadians figuring all of this out out of thin air was. It, it like, I, they lost their last five games of the regular season. Like, they never really truly figured it out in the regular season. And then the playoffs started, and they just, they kind of got it. Um, but they finally win that, that shootout game on March 20th. Um, and then on March 22nd, they find out that two of their players have been entered into the NHL uh, COVID protocol. It was the first time in the in the season that one, the Montreal Canadiens found themselves in that sort of situation, and two, any team in Canada had. Um, I believe it was the Oilers were in Montreal ready to play. Um, it turns out that you know, Armia has Yoel Armia has tested positive. Kotkaniemi was a close contact, but thankfully hadn't tested positive. Armia was okay. Um, he was, I think, generally asymptomatic. Um, and then it didn't spread through the team. I think, you know, credit to, you know, the Canadians on that one that, that things could have gotten far worse. You got to wonder how much of that is just luck um, because the vaccine hadn't been rolling around then. But, you know, it, 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 things could have gotten far worse. Um, we saw what happened with the Vancouver Canucks. I'm just I'm thankful that the Canadians were were healthy on a human level, not not so I could watch a stupid hockey game. On a level that like, I know people who have contracted this disease who are still dealing with like their, the the long haul effects of it. It it's just hell on your body, and I, I'm happy they're they're okay. I'm in a in the grand scheme of things, like I'm happy all of them, you know, made it through this season okay. Um, it's sort of a miracle it happened, but that 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 COVID protocol breach um, shuts the Canadians down for a week. They they won a game, an emotional shootout win. As dumb as the shootout is, I think it meant a lot to that team that they finally managed to get over that hump. Um, and then they get shut down for a week. Armia misses more than a week. KK comes back pretty quick because he didn't test positive. Um, so then they come back on March 30th, 10 days after their last game, um, and they win their first back-to-back game in over two months, um, which is just astounding that, you know, I, I think I think rest did them a lot of good. The season was truncated even before um, the COVID pause, and, you know, the Canadians, for the rest of the season, they had to play 24 games in 42 days from from. Uh, April 1st to May 12th. They played 24 games in 42 days. And it just showed, like, it was so, they were bad before, but now they were bad and tired. Um, 
Like it was just, it was hard hockey to watch. Um, guys were just, they, they, they just weren't the best version of themselves. And we had seen what the best version of themselves was in, in January, but then like they weren't even, they weren't even like the, 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 the team that got, that saw Claude Julien get fired. They were, they were like, it was unreal how bad they were playing. Um, we knew that that wasn't the Canadians. We knew that that wasn't them. But which team are they? Are they the ones that were playing poorly before the team had to stop for COVID and before the season really just got like unreasonably shortened? Um, or were they the team in January who could score at will? Um, but, you know, one once I think it was a huge... It's a huge deal in the grand scheme of, you know, the Canadians as as a team moving forward. But it, it felt it felt like just a little gift from the organization that, you know, during all of that, um, they signed Cole Caulfield to his entry level contract. He goes to Laval. I think those were the highly the most highly watched Laval Rocket games ever. I I I had only seen a few Laval games in the past, I'm not a big prospects guy. I, you know, I, I, there's only so many hours in the day, guys. I don't know what to tell you. Um, but I watched, I bought the rest of the season package for the AHL, which was silly. Cause I think Caulfield played three more games and then got called up. Um, I now have a Laval rocket Cole Caulfield Jersey that he will hopefully never wear ever again. Um, but you know, the small goals boy as the locked on Canadians guys call him. And I think everybody at this point does, he he arrived and he was immediately a fan favorite. Um, in Laval, he was scoring immediately. Um, he didn't look out of place. He's so small, like we call him a small goals boy, but it just doesn't even do justice how small this kid is. And it just didn't matter. Um, and he was he's the first player I think on this team that every time he was on the ice, I was just staring at him, like like Suzuki's good, but like he doesn't. He doesn't, you know, there's something about Caulfield. He just has that, he has that star level already. And, you know, it it goes to show you how scared other teams are of him. When you have fan bases talking about him saying he's a bust when he hasn't even played a game yet. Because they, they're just, you know what they're trying to do? They're just trying to will that into existence. And it just, it to this point, and Cole Caulfield's still going to be a rookie next year because he didn't play enough NHL games this season. Cole Caulfield is going to terrorize this league. Um, and finally, Montreal seems to have an offensive weapon who can do that. And who looks like, even when he's not scoring goals, is still going to be a really, really effective hockey player for this team. Um, it's hard not to, you know, get ahead of ourselves with him, but he he does look that good. Um and he shows up and he doesn't score for his first few games, but he looks good. Like he's he's getting chances. He's shooting the puck. Um, you know, I, I think even throughout the playoffs, he was passing too much. I, like <laughs> I think at one point, I, I he was on a two on one. I think with somebody, and he passed the puck. And I, I said out loud to Kristen, my fiance and co-host on this podcast, <laughs> I said, when Cole Caulfield comes to the bench. I tell him if you ever pass on a two on one again, I will bench you. <laughs> like it, he, like, and it's not that like I'm I want to punish him for 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 anything, but he needs to know that like 
And I know it sucks because he's like 20 years old, but he has to, he, he's the guy. He's the guy. And it was something that like the only part of him being called up that I was worried about was that they were going to do that to him. They were going to say, okay, you're the guy and he wouldn't be able to handle it. But I, I think he can handle it. I mean, the kid was playing the Stanley Cup final and he looked fine. Um, and he's only going to get better, which is horrifying to think about if you're a fan of another team. Um, he scores, he finally does score. It's in three on three overtime. And then he does it the night after he, or the game after, I should say, he has back to back overtime game winning goals. Suddenly the Canadians who hadn't won an overtime game all season have won four in the past, like two weeks. Eric Stahl's first regular season goal as a Montreal Canadian is an overtime winner against the Edmonton Oilers. Um, immediately, you know, uh, rationalizing that trade um even though i think it was kind of the 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 eric stall experience is a mixed one um you know for for a variety of reasons and i'm not gonna make this into a diatribe on eric stall but cole caulfield showed up he showed up in a big way he's gonna be here for hopefully the rest of his career and uh it's just it's exciting that we got him, and he couldn't have come at a better time for fans who were, I think, starting to pull away from this team. And he gave—he just gave us one more reason to stick around for a little bit to see what was going to happen. Um, and, you know, to round out the season, Montreal lost their last five games. You know, but realistically, they still had a shot at, like, third in the division because Winnipeg was also in free fall. The Flames couldn't put together wins. The Canucks were dealing with the worst COVID outbreak I think we've seen in professional sports. Um, there was there was not a lot of reasons for optimism at the end of the regular season. I, you know, we talked about the expectations at the beginning of the year, as opposed to at the end of the year. I feel like they just reset. Um, and, you know, going into a first-round matchup, a 1v4 against the Toronto Maple Leafs, who really dominated the Canadians all season, I think our our collective hopes were just don't get embarrassed. Um, you know, we, we, we had resigned ourselves to the fact that we were probably going to lose to the Toronto Maple Leafs. It was probably going to be embarrassing regardless. Just don't get swept. Um you know, don't maybe push it to six. I think that's where we all landed. Like if they make this a six game series, we're pretty happy about their, their performance. Um, but then they made us all stupid and they won game one. And at that point it was, okay, we can, we can beat these guys. Um, and, you know, to go back to the point I made earlier about, you know, the young players not playing, um, you know, in key situations, game one, no Kotkaniemi, no Cole Caulfield, no Alex Romanoff, um, or, or Romanoff, apologies, um, who I haven't even mentioned, but like he was, it was his rookie season in the NHL and he's playing defense, which is already a very complicated position to play for a young player. It takes them a long time to figure that spot out. And he showed some warts, but he also showed a lot of promise as like, um, you know, everyone wants to compare him to Markov. I don't think he's going to be anything like Markov. And I mean that in a very positive way. Um, he plays a real heavy game, Romanov. Um, I think he can, he, he, his feet, he, he can move his feet. 
he can't, you know, the puck movement aspect is coming. Um, he's not a super offensive weapon at this point in his career. Who Maybe that'll come to him at some point. He scored a goal in the Stanley Cup final. I can't take that away from him. The youngest defenseman in NHL or in Canadians history to score in the Stanley Cup final. Um, but I, I just don't, you know, I went the whole, the whole thing without talking about him. And he was a huge part of this roster up until like the last two weeks or so of the regular season where Ducharme started to scratch him. Um, which isn't a bad thing for a young player necessarily to, to see things from the top. Um, but it, it did stink because, you know, they're the reason we're here and not we as in the Canadians and why they're getting into the playoffs. They're the reason I'm here. I'm I like at this point, like I've said, we've resigned ourselves to the fact that we're probably going to lose this series. Why don't we see what we have in these young kids and, and go from there? Um, and then they made us all look foolish and they won game one. Um, I still that Byron goal where he's on he switches knees after being tripped on a breakaway, he switches the knee that he's on and still fires the puck over Jack Campbell. Like, if that was if that was Nathan McKinnon scoring that goal, it would be on highlight reels for the rest of time. Um, but it was just... It was simple old Paul Byron, um, who was on waivers three times this year and any team could have had him and everyone passed. And I'm thankful they did. Um, but, you know... The Canadians were, were, were outplayed in that game. Um, of course, the story from game one was the injury to Tavares, which was really unfortunate. Um, and I do think it rattled the Leafs in a way that, that is entirely understandable. Um, but the Leafs rebounded immediately and won the next three games and put the Canadians on the brink. And I'll be honest, I've, I, was, I was very down on this hockey team at that point. I remember I was on my porch... Uh, at my barbecue and just before the, before game five, I could not have cared any less about what was going on. And I'm scrolling through and, you know, everyone's talking about how pregame Romanoff's not going to play. And I remember saying to myself that it was a real indictment on the Montreal Canadiens at that point that the story was who wasn't playing as opposed to who was playing. And I, I still feel that way about that point of that series. Like, it was odd that every game we were saying, well, this player's not in. Um, you know, I I don't think a lot of other teams do that. Um, I don't think the Maple Leafs were doing that. But you give them credit. They go out there in Game 5 and they extend the series thanks to a, an amazing assist from Alex Galchenyuk on the 2-1-0 breakaway. Um and then they do it again in Game 6 with Kotkaniemi winning it in overtime. Um, so the last two overtime goals are Suzuki from uh, Caulfield and Kotkaniemi scores in the second one. And you can understand why it becomes it, it becomes odd to look back and say, why weren't these guys being given the reins to begin with? This is the future of the Montreal Canadiens. Um, and this season has only expanded that belief to the point where we don't know what the ceiling is for these guys. Um, but then they come back in, in game seven, I think was one of the best road games I've ever seen the Montreal Canadiens play. Um, they were surgical in that game. Granted, it was the Toronto Maple Leafs who had, who I, I they're just haunted as Steve Dangle likes to put it. They, they just, they don't, 
the game was to me the series ended in game five when the Canadians scored in overtime the fact that the Leafs had the first chance to put that team away and they couldn't do it that 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 belief crept right back into their head and then in game six they had they dominate the beginning of the overtime period and Kakaniemi goes the other way and scores they had no chance in game seven and credit to the Canadians. I'm, I'm not I, like yes, the Leafs choked, but the Canadians forced them to. They were especially in Game Seven. That was, like I said, one of the most dominant road performances I think I've seen out of this team. And it won't jump off the score sheet at you like it'll look like any old win. Um, but the fact that they did that to another team when, you know, their backs were against the wall and they knew they could finish an opponent. Um, that's something the Canadians. In the playoffs, when they had a chance to eliminate an opponent, they just did it. They were they were three and zero in games where they can knock out the other team, and they, they they just didn't miss. That's that's a sort of killer instinct that I don't think you can teach, and it's a killer instinct that teams like Toronto are missing. Um. You know, and Price was fantastic. He he, he just was. He really turned it on in the playoffs. It really gives me hope that. You know he's he's going to be fine for the duration of this contract, barring you know any any unforeseen health problems. But he can really turn it on when he needs to. Um, and you know, in the grind of a regular season, it makes sense that he doesn't want to turn it on for a Tuesday night game in Calgary. It just it, he doesn't need to do that. But it wasn't Calgary; it was Winnipeg that they moved on to next, um, and. They made quick work of the Jets after, you know, they won game one and Mark Shifley did what Mark Shifley did and he's still suspended and he'll miss the the, the season opener next year, which I still think is hilarious. Um, they were definitely, you know, I don't know if they were the favorites against Winnipeg. I, I certainly didn't see a lot of neutral media picking the Canadians in that series. Um, but they made quick work of them. The, the Jets didn't really stand a chance in that series, uh, especially once Shifley went out, but Shifley did that to himself. Um, Price was fantastic again. Hellebuck was not really that great for Winnipeg. Um, and the Canadians moved on, and, and they gave us another cool moment with the, the Tyler Toffoli winner um, in overtime to send them to the, the semifinal. Um trying to think of other goals from that series that were enjoyable um the suzuki move in game one where he just outweighed hellebuck and basically dunked it from the goal line was pretty cool um but that one there what there's not a ton of moments in that series that like bounce out at me at this point it was just a really dominant performance um that i i think was really it was really nice to see that they could win a really, really close series, and then they can just put a team away when they wanted to in, in the Winnipeg series. Um, both are equally as valuable for this young core moving forward. They know how to play in, in just about any kind of series. Um, and then they went to Vegas for, for round three, and I thought that's when it was done. Uh, and that would have been fine. Like like everyone's been saying, you know, after we they came back against Toronto, everything nothing mattered after that if they had if they had gotten swept by winnipeg it wouldn't have mattered if then they had gone on and and gotten swept in in uh, vegas it wouldn't have mattered um but they didn't and game one was bad uh, i think it's funny i think Kristen went to bed um because those games started at nine o'clock here on the east coast and 
she had gone to bed and I, I came down from the attic and, you know, getting ready for bed and she turns over she goes how'd it go i was like i think i just grimaced at her i don't even think i said anything it was bad um but i feel like the canadians in every series that they played they take losses and they 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 try to figure out how they can come back from 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 you know what did they do wrong and they, they generally adjust pretty well if that's something you want to put in ducharme's win column i have no problem with that i i feel like that's definitely a coaching staff um thing but one thing that did happen at the end of the, the, the Winnipeg series was Jeff Petrie got his finger basically ripped off through the, the camera well in the corner. Um, I think he missed I think he missed game four. Uh, he, he definitely missed game one against Vegas. I can't remember at this point. but um, And that was a huge blow to the Canadians. And even when Petrie came back, he wasn't the same, um, which was a shame because he... he he had a really good first half of the season, kind of teetered off when the Canadians did, which is convenient. Um, but you know, it, it's it was it was tough to see him get hurt, and then he was very obviously injured the rest of the way. But and then game one, they they dropped to Vegas in pretty convincing fashion. Um, but they come back in game two and they play one of their best games of the series. Um, you know, they they proved that they could skate with that team. Um, they take the series tied back to Montreal, which in every series they played was the goal. Um, to that point, they had done that. Uh, in Toronto, they went back 1-1. In, in Winnipeg, they went back up 2-0 in the series, and they ended up finishing the sweep at the Bell Center. And in, in the Vegas series, they accomplished that 1-1 uh, split. Um, it, it gives you, It makes it a five-game series, and your team has home ice advantage now. Um. So, you know, from the way the Canadians conducted themselves in the playoffs, like they took a 1-1 split back to Montreal, it really felt doable, even against a team like Vegas, who they're just, they are an elite team. And I know it sucks to say because they kind of got gifted that team, but, you know, th- that's the reality of it. They were an elite hockey team, uh, and they have been really since they showed up in the NHL. Um. Game three, the, that's, that's the, the flurry game. Um, you know, they're, they're tied, they're tied in the series. Vegas is up late. Um, Montreal didn't have much going offensively in that game. Uh, Price kind of kept them in it. I, I remember him making a bunch of key saves. And then Marc-Andre Fleury just, just burps it up behind the net, um, credit Josh Anderson he was in the right place at the right time and he didn't miss but that that moment to me was when it all became kind of real um that it that there was a real chance that this team could win because you don't win just on your own merit the whole time like there are you get gifts every once in a while like it just happens um that was a gift and then, you know, Anderson and Byron come in on a 2-on-0 breakaway, essentially, and make a really nice passing play, and they win game three in overtime. Um, that was when the, the dream really became like, okay, maybe I'm not going to be satisfied if they lose this round. Like, th- this team has something special that, you know, it would be a shame if it was wasted. Um, and, and, you know, just to backtrack a little bit, um, 
you know the Winni- the Winnipeg series and the Vegas series felt so weird. They felt like fake playoff series because we played two Western Conference teams in the middle of the playoffs for no reason. Um, the Canadians uh, they went on to win the uh, the Clarence Campbell Bowl, which is reserved for Western Conference teams. The Canadians had never won it in their history. They won it this year. Um, so you know it, all of it felt fake. Like it just didn't feel like like this is how playoff hockey goes. Um, but you, you know, they, they still went out there and they played those teams like none of that mattered. Um, even the time change between, you know, Montreal and Vegas and Montreal and Winnipeg. Um, but you know, then they lose game four and it kind of stinks and they head back to Vegas for game five and, I know it's it's stupid, but the the series really, the series against Vegas really ended when that when that fucking Celine Dion picture went up, right? Like like when that went up, you knew they weren't winning another game. Like it and it, it feels stupid to say that because hockey is determined by the hockey that happens on the ice, which is a bold statement. But like, it just felt like it pissed so many people off. And I'm from Connecticut, so I don't necessarily understand why everyone was so mad. But like, it bothered enough people that like Celine Dion had to come out and make a statement about it. Um, so, I mean, Montreal goes into game five. They really, they play well. They have a chance to come home and wrap it up on home ice. And it goes to overtime. And Lekkonen gives us one of the coolest moments I think we'll, we'll have, um, you know, for the rest of our lives. It was, you know, even though we know that they didn't end up winning the cup, like just to hear, you know, in the States on, on NBC, John Forslund gets the call. He's one of my favorite, um, play by play guys. He, you know, his call was, you know, and the Canadians are on their way to the Stanley Cup final. And I, I still don't believe that was true. Like it was, it was insane to think that it could ever happen with any Canadians team, let alone this one. Um, and you know, Arturi Lekkonen's the guy. And it was another game where, you know, especially in that overtime period, um, Vegas was all over them. And they still found a way. I think Mike Montreal broke out of their zone. Uh, Gallagher threw the neutral zone to Deneau. Deneau over the blue line. He holds onto it, gets a pass to Lekkonen, and it goes in. Like, it, it was, it was, Vegas was all over them to start that overtime and they still turned it into a goal going back the other way and they turned it into a Stanley Cup final appearance. Um It's still like I'm I'm still just thinking about it and I'm holding back like giggling about how fun that run was and how like you know players player the how people I know who don't necessarily watch hockey the next day are texting me about it and are and are 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 rooting for this hockey team that they don't care about but they they know me and they like me so they're rooting for you know they're rooting for this team because they know it makes me happy um that was really cool that's something that that hasn't happened a lot especially because you know the last time they were in the semifinal, then it was the conference final. They were playing the Rangers, and I live in Connecticut, and they all basically told me to go fuck myself for for a month. Um, so that was cool. But you know, it 
it really was special. Um, the final stunk. Like, it was cool to be there. The, the, the Josh Anderson game in Game 4 to stave off elimination for one more day was nice. It let us have a really positive memory of that Stanley Cup final. If they got swept, it would have been a different story. But, you know, to give the, the Bell Center a win, um, for it to come in overtime, um, you know, and for it to come from a guy who he seems to only score in bunches, him and him and Yoel Armia, for some reason, they rarely score one goal. It's always two. Um, but it was just, it was really cool. Um, I don't have, I don't have a ton of positive. You know, I mean, it was just nice. It was nice being there. But the rest of that final did kind of stink. And not, not, not to take anything away from Tampa Bay, they're a fantastic hockey team. They're one of the most well constructed hockey teams I've ever seen. I don't think there was a single team in the league that would have beaten the Tampa Bay Lightning this year. Um, and I mean that earnestly. I don't say that as, well, we didn't beat them, so nobody could. I I, I mean that. If Colorado was going to beat them, they would have gotten there and they, they wouldn't have beaten them. Um, so, um, I, I don't take anything away from them losing the Stanley Cup final. They lost to the the reigning champion. Um, they lost to a really good hockey team. It's not like they showed up and they lost to, I don't know, some other 18th overall team from the other side of the bracket that made its way to the final. Um, you know, all of, the media and the fans and, and peop, fans of other teams that are coming out and trying to discount what the Canadians did, I, I don't know what that's hoping to accomplish other than to just make someone feel as bad as you feel. Um, so like, I don't know if I had advice for the Canadians fans, uh, don't listen to them. Don't certainly don't quote tweet them. Don't give them any more attention than they want. Um, it does. It doesn't, it doesn't do anybody any good to keep putting that stuff out on the timelines. So just stop doing that. Um, but I, I said at the beginning of this that I think this has changed the way that I watch hockey. And I, I do earnestly mean that. And I wonder how much of that is even out of my control. Um, like I said, with this season being all divisional games and all Canadian games. And, you know, there was just a sense that like every game, every game was a four point game. Every game was super important. And I needed to like get myself fired up to watch a, a fucking game against the Calgary Flames or the Vancouver Canucks or the Ottawa Senators and it just didn't like in a in any given season those games don't matter like and I, and I'm not saying that like hyperbolically if we learned anything this season the the regular season is one usually way too long and two it does not matter as much as we are told to believe as as much as we are asked to believe in order to participate in this in this sport or hobby or whatever you want to call this the regular season success is nice it, it's 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 a marathon um you know you're traveling all over the, the the continent playing a bunch of different games there is merit in having a good regular season hockey team but i'm not going to freak out about a tuesday night loss against the fucking florida panthers like it's just not going to happen from now on um, there's no reason for it to happen. And, you know, it's going to be really hard, I think, going into next season 
to try to manufacture that same kind of intensity for these hockey for the for the players and for the fans alike like it's going to be hard to like get fired up for you know whatever tuesday night game is playing on bally sports here in the states which is like the regional channels um i, I and you know that's something that we're going to have to figure out like it's dawning on me now that the next time we see the Montreal Canadiens play hockey, it's going to be preseason hockey. For the first time in like two years, there's going to be preseason hockey. <laughs> like, like, it's going to be impossible to get excited for that. It'll be nice because it'll be hockey and hockey's back on TV and... You know, I think a lot of it too this year was we were all locked inside. Um, we all had to, um, you know, sacrifice a lot this year to keep ourselves safe and others safe. And when hockey came back in January, it was like, you know, I know I've 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 had this conversation with other fans too. Like, it we put we put all of our um, enjoyment eggs in the Canadian's basket, and it was not a f- it was not a good idea. Um, it's not fair to do that to a bunch of other people. Generally, like it's not it's not it wasn't okay for us to say okay Canadians make us happy. Um, but in a time like that, it certainly wasn't a good idea. So I'm 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 wondering how much of next season like we feel that we feel that sort of emotional letdown. Like we talk about trap games. I wonder if next season is a trap season where like we have this big emotional letdown in between seasons. Um, we'll see. It's, it's going to be interesting. Um, but you know, I, this was one of the most enjoyable seasons I've had, um, as a Canadians fan, even when they were bad, um, they were still fun in the sense that I think a lot of, I made a lot of friends who were, who were having fun with this team. Um, you know, the memes that would go around on, on Twitter, some of the funniest stuff, like it it made, it made the losses lighter and it made the wins more enjoyable. Um, when you'll see like the memes of them looking at the iPads on the bench or the, the press conference meme with Suzuki and Caulfield um, that I that I made a template for and and made uh, versions. One that said uh, reasons we should get a dog as if they were giving a, a PowerPoint presentation to their parents. Or uh, what was the other one? Oh, um, it says how to stunt on these hoes. That was a good one. Um, but uh, that just, that made it more enjoyable. Even it, it raised, it raised the bar on every game if the if the bar if the you know if we were all going to be mad after a loss at least like you know we're, we're going to send a petri face now and then um you know and if you don't know what the petri faces are just go through the my my media on my twitter account and you'll you'll see what i mean um one of the moments that i keep going back to that has been seldom talked about to this point in the season was um there was a there was a game against the Canucks on March tenth that started at eleven p.m. Eastern, which was I think by all accounts the latest start time the Canadians have ever had, um, and like we all hated the idea of it, um, and 
sure enough though we log on to twitter and all of us are there <laughs> like like we're all watching this stupid team that was playing so fucking badly and <laughs> they still the, we were still there like i don't buy this whole like oh i'm not gonna watch anymore and i've been on that boat because like <laughs> like in game like in the playoffs against the maple Leafs, i was like i don't even know if i'm gonna watch and then my stupid ass is turning the tv on at 705 um it was the same thing with that sort of game i watched it in bed for the first time and only time all season but like they 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 played an 11 p.m game and we were all there it felt like a rite of passage almost like like you know not that there's any sort of like gates that fans need to, to jump through but it felt like you know we like we should get to say, hey, I was there. Like, I, I stayed up for that game. I watched that game. And they won, like, 5-1. It was a convincing win. Um, You know, I, I, that hasn't really been talked about a lot. And I, I go back to that game in my head all the time as, like, one of the coolest moments from the season. I'm giggling now thinking about it. Um, You know, the, the Caulfield joining one of the one of Mark Bergman's Zoom conferences. I think they were firing the goalie coach. And... I'm logged in and I see Laura Saba, my our friend from the the Lockdown Canadians podcast, in there, and I see a whole bunch of other people, and all of a sudden it just says Cole Caulfield has joined, and I had to, I took a screenshot immediately so I didn't miss it, but then I did leave and I did go check and I was like, was that actually him? And it was. He's just in his dorm room in in Wisconsin, just watching the team he's gonna go play for burn to the ground. Um, and like that was just, I don't know why it was so funny, but it was, and it made it made the fact that Mark Bergeron was announcing the firing of somebody tolerable. Um, so I think you know, those are the kinds of things that I'm gonna I'm gonna look for in in the coming seasons. The wins are gonna be fun, but we need to find a way to make the losses less awful. Um, and if the the hockey team themselves aren't gonna do that, we have to. Um, this isn't some, you know, stay positive message or anything like that. It's, I think it's just going to be a, a, a method of self-preservation moving forward. It's an 82 game season next year. Like it's not going to be fun the entire time. Um, there's going to be great moments next season. I'm, I'm sure of it. This Canadians team just seems like they're full of them. Um, but moving forward, there's no more Canadian division. We're back in the Atlantic um are they a playoff team i don't know ask me next april i'm tired of this whole well they're not going to be a playoff team next year okay what are the lottery numbers like no one knows they weren't supposed to be a playoff team this year and they were so here we are um i i I genuinely wonder how much this will affect the way that we watch them you know just the emotional letdown aspect of it all but i i you know, I always I've been teaching Girl Master Swire every every fucking game this season. It seems like, and you know, after they lost, I I tweeted at midnight the next night, no Master Swire, which made me a lot sadder than I thought it was going to. I was kind of ready to let that meme go, but next season, like for the first like preseason game, I'm gonna tweet it, and it's gonna feel great, and it's gonna feel great for the first regular season game. And it's going to feel great on Saturday evenings, uh, you know, in November. It's it's going to, 
I can't wait to watch this team play hockey again. And I, I feel like if I, I had heard myself say that in February, I would have, I, I would have thought I was crazy. Um, you know, and so I'll put a bow on it there. I, I think I'm just, I'm generally very happy that we got to do this. Um, you know, COVID restrictions everywhere are starting to get a little looser. Um, people are getting vaccinated. I, I hope you're safe. If you've been listening to this the whole time, thank you. I don't know how many people would have made it an hour and 10 minutes into this. Um, if you stuck around, thanks. And thanks, you know, if you're here, you're probably the people who are reading Rabbit Habs and who are listening to this podcast regularly and um, who are reading Hockey Newsletter, which is one of the f- most fun things I've, I've gotten to do. Um, if you read, if you, you know, if you listen or read anything that I do, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. It, um, you know, the last year has been hard. I've, you know, sort of slipped into a lot of loneliness, a lot of bad habits. Um, but this run was genuinely one of the most enjoyable things I think I can say I've experienced in my life. Um, you know, it's, it, like I said, last year, it, it goes without saying, but the last year was just so bad. And, you know, to, to, to share this, this run with a bunch of people that I've honestly never met before, but I feel like I know pretty well just from the way that we, we interact, um, on the bird app. Um, it, it was special. I, all I can say is I hope we, we get to do this again soon. Um, I guess that's where I'll leave it. Um, again, thanks for listening. Um, we'll probably be back with some off-season podcasts with me, Trevor, and Kristen just to shoot the shit. Um, haven't We haven't had a chance to sit down all together. Um, we'll probably do something soon. Maybe more serial talk, I know. That's a big it's a big winner with, uh, with our audience, our, our demo. Um, so thanks again. I'll let you go. Uh, enjoy your summer, and we'll be back in October. Hopefully we get another another really memorable season out of it. Take care. Stay safe. Talk soon.